Amen. You may be seated. electricity in the air or something, huh? Wow. It's been a weird week for me. My wife's been gone. And, uh, you know, it, that normally doesn't happen. Usually I'm the one that's gone. And when I'm gone, I'm busy and doing things. And it was just weird. And uh, I'm really looking forward to her coming home today. Uh, she is coming back, as far as I know. <laughs> I, I've been watching them on the Find My iPhone, so I know they're on their way anyway. Um, so why, why me? Why you? For what purpose do you live? What, for what purpose am I living? And that's what we've been trying to answer. You know, why am I walking this big blueberry of a planet? Uh, why, why am I here? Well, that's what we've been looking at for the last four weeks. And uh, the fact that we exist as human, human beings, first of all, um, is to be loved by God. You know, he didn't need us. He wanted us. Isn't that an interesting thought? Um, God wanted you and God wanted me. And so he created us. Uh, we were, were created to be loved by God and we are his beloved. I have a book on my shelf called that. The Beloved of God. Isn't that an interesting um, word? Beloved. To be loved, uh, that's, that's what you are. Uh, you were created to be loved by God. And our response to that then, uh, on a daily basis, is really worship. You know, when we respond, uh, when, we, when we understand how much he loves us and, and uh, what he's done for us. Uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for you, for me. And, uh, and, and, and our response then is worship. And we were also created to belong, uh, to belong to God's family, which is going to go on and on and on and on and on forever, for all of eternity, which is incredible to think about, too. You know, the earth is really, a, uh, our, our lifespan here is really a drop in the bucket when it comes to time. And uh, we're, as Christ followers, going to be with him for all of eternity together as a church. And, and he adopts us into his family through Jesus Christ. And, and when, in response to God's call on our life, we surrender to Jesus Christ, we, we believe, believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, Paul says in Romans that we will be saved. And, and when that occurs, we become members of God's very own family. We belong. We belong in his family. And then, of course, we become a part of the body of Christ here on earth. And, and the church... As you think about the church, maybe you're just joining us today for the first time in this series. We talked about how the church is not a building. The church is us. We are the body of Christ. And, and Jesus says that, that the church is the hope of the world. We are the ones with the message, with the good news. And when we operate together, when we belong together, um, just as a body functions with every part needed, everyone doing their part, uh, amazing things happen. 
And, and these things, I hope, you have continued to reflect on and think about and meditate on. Um, you know, God calls us sons and daughters. He calls us brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed when we are in him to call us brothers and sisters. That just blows my mind. Because uh, as we looked at last week, I think it was, oftentimes we become ashamed. And, and we think uh, we become ashamed to be, because we think God is ashamed of us. But the Bible says that that's not the case. The Bible says that Jesus is not ashamed of us. So we've talked about fellowship and we've talked about worship. And last week, we saw how God has created us to become like Jesus. You know, like Christ. Uh, Now, again, as I said, if this is your first Sunday, I just want to encourage you, because this has been a great series, I think, for all of us, um, to maybe stop by the information counter and, and grab the book that we've been uh, reading alongside with this series. You can, you can go on our website and watch the previous sermons. You can watch the small group videos on the website as well and get caught up. In, and that's northhillsbaptist.net. It should be in your, the address should be in your worship folder. And today, today we're going to look at a purpose that we've been created for that, that really is very close to my heart. And I don't know when it became really close to my heart. I think, I think it was just living in my father's household, um, living in the mindset of my family, and, uh, and that's the fact that God has created us to serve, to serve him, to serve one another. And, and really, that word service could also be, be used as, uh, you know, we can think of that as to bless uh, to bless others. Uh, because um, we weren't just made to take up space, to breathe, to live a self-centered life on earth, and then to die. That's not what life is all about. God put us here to, to make a contribution with our life, and, and that contribution is called ministry. Now, another word for blessing, another word for service, is actually the word ministry. And I think we can get our, our definitions mixed up here sometimes. In the Bible, the word servant and the word minister are the same word. We just translate them into English differently for some reason. Um, and the fact is, we're all ministers. Oftentimes, we think of a pastor as the minister, right? Um, how many ministers do you have in your church, someone might ask. Might ask. And, and you may think to yourself, well, let's see, there's There's Pastor David, there's Pastor Caleb, there's Pastor Michael, so three. No, that's not the answer you should give. Here's, if anybody ever asks you how many ministers you have at North Hills, I want you to answer with all of them. All of them. We're all ministers. We are all called to be ministers. Everyone is a minister. And I think that's great. Uh, I think that's great. All of us are ministers. Uh, we're all called to be evangel to do the work of evangelism. We're all called to be to be ministers. Now Jesus had this same attitude that we're talking about this morning. In fact, he was he he's he's the reason that we're even able to talk about this. Um, Jesus had this same attitude, and we looked at last week um, with one of our purposes to be like Christ, to become like Jesus. That's essentially what we're talking about today. Uh, look up here at Matthew or at Mark chapter chapter ten, verse forty five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, who said that? 
What color is that in? It's red letters, right? Jesus himself said that. Jesus said, I didn't come so that you... I created everything. I'm all-powerful. I can be ever-present. But guess what? I didn't come here so you could serve me. I came here to serve you. And, and that just blows me away. To be the disciples walking with this man who, 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 who calms waters with his voice, who heals with a touch or with a spoken word, who, who raises people from the dead, and Jesus says, I didn't come here so that you could serve me. I came here to serve you. And it says in that verse, if you look at that, and maybe you jot this down in your notes or, or write this word, it says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is a ransom? You know, um, ransom, uh, there's a lot of movies out, right? Somebody's kidnapped and they ask for a ransom. You see, a ransom is a payment that's made in place or on behalf of another person. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin by, by coming as a, as a man, God incarnate. It is me, isn't it? I am just going to have to stay right here. Uh, Jesus came in a miraculous way. Emmanuel, the Bible calls him, God with us. He lived the perfect life. As we saw in our small groups last week, he was tempted in every way. Every way that you're tempted and that I'm tempted, Jesus was. He was led into the desert by the Spirit to be tempted for 40 days. Satan put the screws to Jesus. And Jesus, in his flesh, overcame those temptations. And then he surrendered himself to death even death on a cross. He didn't necessarily want to. In the garden, we see him crying out to the Father, if there's any way this cup can be taken away from me, please. It's, it's just the thought of this is almost more than I can bear. But he followed that with, but whatever your will is, I will do. He was obedient to the cross. And why did he do that? <laughs> he did that because he loved you and he loved me. He did that because there had to be a ransom. There had to be a perfect sacrifice. There, none of us could, could possibly accomplish it. Not even living in the woods by ourselves could we accomplish that. Jesus paid the price. He paid the ransom. And Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And who? No one. No one. What? comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Some people say, well, that's pretty narrow-minded for you to say, Pastor David. You know what? I didn't say it. I'm simply repeating the truth that Jesus said. He was God. He can make that claim. If he says it's the only way, then it's the only way. I don't care what else you believe or hope to put your faith and hope in for, for eternal life. Jesus says right there, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then Jesus gives us a mission. He gives us a ministry, 
uh, which we accomplish through serving. I mean, when we, when we want to bless God or we, when we want to serve God, what does that even look like, right? Do we, is it, is it uh, you know, laying things down before him? Is it putting money in the offering plate? That's, that's a form of worship. That's a form of sacrifice, of surrender. But, but does that really serve God? I, honestly, I think one of the only ways in which we can possibly serve God in a practical way is when we serve other people. When, when we love other people, when we forgive and have mercy on other people. And that's really an unselfish act, isn't it? We give of ourselves, our time, our money, our effort. We sacrifice comfort and personal uh, pleasure, personal desires for other people. We serve other people, and that's really how we serve God, by, by doing what he commands and serving and loving others. Now, I'm doing a wedding this afternoon. Please pray that it doesn't rain this afternoon. It's outdoors. Um, At least it's going to be somewhat warm and no snow on the ground. So that's a positive thing, right? Um, But over the last couple weeks, and I've been taking three other couples through pre-marriage counseling, and we've we've been talking about it. And, and, uh, you know, really, I should be the best husband on the planet because I do marriage counseling myself personally like once a week you know, just ongoing all year long, although my wife would probably argue to the contrary. Um, And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit too. Um, Not that she would argue to the contrary, but but something from personal experience. But but here's the thing. Uh, You know, what makes a marriage successful? What makes a marriage successful? And I've I've been thinking about that. And, uh, you know, marriage can be an incredible joy. Um, even in our families, if you're not married, you know, this, this, this is true within, within your, your family unit or even your work unit as well, people that you have relationships with. And, and it's this thought that, that unselfishness is a key concept in our relationships with, with everyone. When do we have the most frustration and the most conflict and the most struggle within our relationships? It's when we are acting selfishly. It's it's when we're acting selfishly. And and as I said, it's not true in just marriage. It's true in sports. It's true in anything that requires any sense of teamwork. When we become selfish in that activity or that relationship or that event... Who knows what's going to happen? And when you have a player on a team who's only worried about himself and, and how he looks and what he does and his stats and what's in the newspaper the next day about him, there's problems. There's trouble. It, it, selfishness is the, is the foundation of so much pain and headache and, and, and heartache. It pits us against one another. It breaks up relationships. And in general, it, it really does make us miserable. It makes us miserable. So just a, a story, and, and I think some of you have heard me tell this before, but a few years ago, we did this love dare thing as a, as a church. A bunch of men got together, and we went through the book called The Love Dare. And uh, um, what was the movie that that actually came from? 
Fireproof, thank you. Um, great movie. If, uh, if you haven't seen it in a while, I'd suggest maybe watching it. But um, with, in that movie, they, they came out with this book, and this, it's this 40-day love dare, and, and it takes you through this process as a spouse. It can be, you know, the husband or the wife can, can do this. And it takes you through this, through this process. And the process isn't to, to do these things for my wife so that she'll treat me a certain way. I mean, sometimes we, we can look at our marriages in that way. But when we do, that's really a pretty selfish thing. And, and we're not moving down the road. That, so at, at the very beginning of this, for the first week of this love dare, I, I'm telling you what. I mean, I'm, it's just like I'm getting whacked over the head with a two-by-four every morning I read this book. And, and, and God is, is just Showing me in front of my face how selfish I can be as a human being. It, just in life, in, in, especially in my, my relationship with my wife. And, and Sarah and I are laying in bed one night. And let me remind you, God is taking me through a process, right? We're, we're laying in bed one night and uh, neither of us are asleep yet. And I, I look over at her and I said, so what are you thinking about? Now we know that when women ask that of men and we say nothing, it's true. It's possible for us to think about nothing. Um, I said, so what are you thinking about? And she said, well, I was just thinking about how selfish you are. Dead serious. And here's the thing. If I'm not doing this love dare thing, um, right then, I jumped, I would, right then and there, I probably would have jumped into stage two of the, of what one Christian marriage counselor calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? There's, there's criticism, and then we get defensive, and then it moves into contempt, and then there's stonewalling. Those are the four horsemen of the, the apocalypse. And uh, um, anyway, that's a whole other subject. But here's the thing, and, and what this author says is that defensiveness never, never uh, shuts down a conflict. It always escalates it. So there's this moment in time right here where my wife just told truth, right? God's been showing me this for a week. And the only thing that I can say, the only response that I have for her in that moment is, you know, you're right. You're right. And, and as I realize that that's how I can be, and I begin seeing that in my life and trying to fight that selfishness, what happens then is I begin thinking selflessly and, and not doing things for my wife or saying things to my wife simply because I think I'm going to get something out of that, but because it's the right thing to do. It's because it's out of my love for her. It's my response to who she is. I... To me, again, now, I still fight selfishness. And if she were here, she would be saying, yeah, he does. Right? But, but, but selfless acts in, in a marriage relationship strengthen, um, cohesive us together as husband and wife. Or, or at work with a boss. Or whatever relationship it is that you can put in that. When we enter into the criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling, it just... Nothing ever good comes from that. In fact, um, this, same, this same author, and I can't 
think of his name right now, but he did a thing at the University of Washington for years. Um, It was called the Love Lab, and they would bring married couples in, and they would hook them up all with all of these things, these these receptor things, and you know it was it was just a normal day, other than that they were all hooked up and stuff. And then they they would just observe them. And he found that with a 94% accuracy rate, 94%, he could tell, he could predict whether a marriage would succeed or fail based solely on how they fought as a couple. Had nothing to do with what they fought about um, or how often It was based solely on how they fought. Because conflict is inevitable, right? And and when we are selfish in the midst of that conflict, and we we don't try to deal with it in a proper way, uh, bad things happen when we're selfish. Because I want what I want. I want you to be a certain way. I want you to do a certain thing. And unless you do, eh, you know, I just may not be nice to you today or tomorrow, or the next day. Um, that's not what we're talking about today. And, and here's the thing. I don't want to talk about um, the downer side of self, selfishness. Um, I don't want to talk about the not-to-dos. What I want to talk about today are four things that, that have positive consequences when we serve unselfishly. Okay, so serving others unselfishly, first of all, will create joy in my life. It will create joy in my life. Uh, Many people are looking for happiness and joy in all of the wrong places. Some of them come to church and they think, well, God's just going to fix it and he's going to make my life happy in all of this. Or or they're looking for bigger boats and vacations and cars. Um, The five Ps, possessions, positions, passions, pleasures, and popularity. They're looking for joy in those things. The problem is they don't ever deliver. How many, we just had a, 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 a rock singer this last week presumably commit suicide. Why? Because he had no hope, probably. Who knows? There's various, you know, there's all sorts of talk out there of what happened. But how many, how many professional, let's just say professional athletes, because when you talk about possessions and, and popularity and all of that, they have it all, right? They, they have lots of money. And they seem like some of the most miserable people on the planet because money and possessions and those things don't deliver joy. You know, um, maybe even you are dabbling in some of these things, trying to find joy in them. But the truth is, it can't be found in them. It's not found in stuff. Joy just can't be found in stuff. It's found in Jesus. It's found in people. It's found in relationships. Not in status, not in salary, not in sex, as is so prolifically promoted out there in our culture, but in service. In service. Giving to others, not taking away. Now, there's two secrets of joy. The first is this, getting the focus off myself. If, if we can get the focus off of ourselves, um, if we can shift, the, shift our focus from inside of us to outside of us, uh, in, incredible things happen and joy happens. Our, our society is really obsessed with self, isn't it? I mean, it, 
it's crazy some of the commercials that are on in the mornings. If you ever watch morning news shows or anything, you know, and you see commercials, it's, there's commercials like how to get rid of this stuff under your chin. And there's, there's I mean, I'm just dumbfounded by some of the th- things that people will pay lots of money for. Why? Because they have this problem with self. Selflessness is really countercultural. Uh, but honestly, the more we give our life away, the more joy we will experience. Paul mentions this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. He says, But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. We're all rejoicing together. This service, that, that, this sacrifice that you're making is creating joy. Have you ever noticed in your life that, that more often than not, the most helpful people are some of the most happy people that you know? I didn't ask for this illustration, but it was given at our, our, at our Bible study this week. One of the members in our Bible study said, this is really weird. He said, I had to have my septic tank pumped out this week. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's a, right, that's not a very pleasant sounding job, right? You, in fact, um, he said, here's the crazy thing. He said, the guy that came out and pumped my septic tank was one of the most happy contented people I've ever met in my life. He said, just talking to him, he, he, he loved what he was doing. And I'm thinking, really? How? You know, because um, that's really not a very fun job and probably pretty thankless. Yes! Garrett, somebody had to say it. I'm glad it was you. No, um, Here's the thing. It doesn't matter what we're doing. I mean, he, he was serving someone, really. He was providing a service. And even though it was pumping sewage, it didn't affect him in a negative way, his mood. And that can be true of all of us. Joy comes from sacrifice and serving. I mean, I think God wired the universe so that the more unselfish we are, the more joy that we experience. Philippians 4, 4, and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, treating people with gentleness, serving them, going the extra mile, doing something for for them just out of the blue provides joy for us as well. And unfortunately, when we want it the way I want it, when I want it, and you want what you want, when you want it, and neither of us are willing to budge and give in and change, the joy gets sucked right out. It gets sucked right out, and it causes conflict. Uh, look at Philippians 2.4. Not looking to your own interests, but, but each of you to the interests of the others. Here, here's how Eugene Peterson translates that in the message, and I love this. He says, Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. If you lack joy in your life, start serving. Do something for someone else for a change. Try not to think of only yourself. Um, and, And have you ever observed someone, and I don't know if pumping sewage could be something, I don't know if you have to have a gift for that, or, or 
you know, but if you've ever observed someone doing a job and it's in their wheelhouse, Pastor Ty used to use that phrase all the time. It's in their wheelhouse. I mean, it's something that they just love, love doing. Um, isn't it amazing how much joy they have? So we need to use our gifts to help others. God gives us a gift, a spiritual gift, and we need to use that in serving others. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We are blessed to be a blessing. And we all have at least one gift, a spiritual empowerment, and we can use that to serve others. So serving others unselfishly will create joy in our lives. Serving others unselfishly will also, number two, improve our relationships. It will improve my relationships. Honestly, the, the more we practice unselfishness, the better our relationships will be. I don't know what else I can say about that point, really. I mean, it, I think we've probably all observed both sides of that. And, and I could give you thousands of examples in my own marriage of where that either succeeded or failed based on my attitude when it came to, is it just going to be what I want or... Um, is there a, an unselfish way that this can be handled? I mean, again, we copy Jesus. Matthew twenty twenty eight says, Just as the man of man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom, as ransom for many. There's no greater love than what? Than someone who'd be willing to lay their life down for another. Jesus did that. And, and I would say, if it's not even unto death, even in our life, as we lay down our life for others, as we, as we choose to serve them. And that can be on the side of the, the street. That can be it with, within the, the church itself, within the body of Christ, you know, serving, uh, being involved in, in, in some uh, ministry, um, or just ministering. To, I, we were on our way to a soccer game in Newcastle. We were running late, uh, but... There, were, there was a car parked on the side of the road. There were suitcases out of the trunk, and there were these three ladies standing next to the car. What do you think I did? I blew right by and went to, straight to the soccer game. No, that's not what I did. <clears throat> I pulled up. I'm like, okay, honey, I know we're running late. My, my mother-in-law and my wife were with me. I'm like, I know we're, we're running late, but I'm going to change this tire as fast as I possibly can. You watch. You time me. I mean, it was competition, right? Um, <laughs> I jump out, and I don't know, it was less than five minutes, you know, to get the tire out and get it off and get the other one on, get it put in the trunk, say, you know, and, and in that five minutes, we had a, must have had a quick conversation, you know, so what do you do, blah, 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 where are you headed, it's all of that, I'm a pastor, in fact, you drove by my church on your way, they were, go, they were going from Denver to the Black Hills, and, and uh, about two weeks later, a thank you note comes in the mail, addressed to the church, and it, it was from these three ladies, Thanking me, and actually there was a, donate, an, an, a monetary donation to the church in the envelope. And, and look, I mean, honestly, I think that is such an anomaly in our culture today, people stopping to help other people, that people are just blown away by a simple act of unselfishness. And, and we have the gifts to do that. And, and it improves our relationship. I, it improves, in my opinion people's opinions about the church and just people in general. 
Um, Proverbs 11.25 says, The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. I mean, isn't it interesting how, how good things happen when we help others? Um, this isn't always the case, but Proverbs 11.17 says, Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. You, in, in Proverbs eleven seventeen in another translation, it says it this way. You do yourself a favor when you're kind. You do yourself a favor. Now, that's not why we do it. Again, we're doing this because it's, it's the right thing to do. We're, we're doing this because God has called us and has put us on this planet in, in one way, shape, or form to serve other people. That's why we do it. But there are positive consequences to living the way that God wants us to live. Proverbs 22, 9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. So we experience joy. Our relationships improve. And number three, serving others unselfishly will make my life meaningful. Who doesn't want meaning in their life? I mean, maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you saw the ad for North Hills in this series at the theater or something. And, and, and you're like, man, I'd really like to know if, there, if, if anybody knows if there's a purpose for my life. We, um, living unselfishly, will make our life meaningful. Meaning in life isn't gained by taking from life. Meaning in life comes as we sacrifice and as we serve others. Look what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Forever, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I mean, that's, that's a positive from a negative, which our culture just doesn't, it just doesn't compute. So knowing this verse right here, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What should my attitude be? It should be an attitude of selflessness, willing to give my life away for others. Now, of course we would, of course we would do that for those in our own family, our, our husband, our wife, our children, but, but this doesn't just limit it to that. It's for all people. And, and as we give our life to others, we're investing in the future. We really are. You know, some investments don't give a good return, do they? And I mean, I don't even know what the interest rate is these days. Is it even worth putting your money in the bank? Is it better in the mattress? Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When we serve others, there will be a return. We may not see it, but there's a seed that's been planted. God does all the changing himself anyway. According to Gallup, our happiness levels are at a four-year high. Now, I, I, one thing I forgot to look at when I looked at this was when this was actually published. So it could have been 10 years ago. I'm not sure. But this, when this was written, Gallup says that happiness levels are at a four-year high. Nearly 60% of all Americans today feel happy. But a new study cautions 
that there's something much more important than happiness. Go figure, right? Finding meaning or a purpose in life is much more important, this new study says, than happiness. And after interviewing nearly 400 Americans, the study found that the two categories overlap, this happiness and this um, purpose in life. But there's one major difference. Happiness focuses on taking, while meaning and purposes focuses on giving. The researchers concluded that happiness is about feeling good. You know, happy people tend to think that life is easy. They're in a good physical health, and they're able to buy the things that they need and want or maybe are given, right? The pursuit of happiness is also associated with being a taker. The study stated, if anything, pure happiness is linked to not helping others in need. It's all self-based. In contrast, people leading meaningful lives get a lot of joy. And notice, that's a completely different word. Joy and happiness are not the same. From giving to others, having more meaning in life was associated with activities like buying presents for others, taking care of kids, or serving others. People whose lives have high levels of meaning help others even when it comes at the expense of their happiness. So what's your most important goal in life? Is it, is it happiness or is it meaning and purpose? New studies show that having purpose and meaning in life increases overall life satisfaction. So I think happiness is one of those short-term things. And meaning and purpose in life is one of those long-term things. Recent research also shows that the single-minded pursuit of happiness actually makes people less happy. Again, I said it at the very beginning. Because of of what they're trying to fill, what they're trying to make themselves happy with, it's, it's all empty. It's the wrong thing. It's the wrong place. When we serve others unselfishly, we receive meaning over happiness. And meaning comes when we serve others. So we experience joy when we serve others unselfishly. Our relationships improve. Our life is given meaning. And finally, number four, serving others unselfishly will leave a legacy. Now, I mentioned that that this is close to my heart because, and I think that I got it from my father. Um, that's, a, that's a legacy that he will leave, I think. My dad would always drop anything to go help someone. It didn't matter what the weather. In fact, it seemed like to me the worse the weather, the bigger the challenge, the more he wanted to help. But the more people needed help. You know, I mean, dad was alive for the, was it, Is that like the 39 blizzard? Was that the really big one? The 49 blizzard. Wow, he was 20 years old when that happened. Um, But, but, you know, they were at home, and and he remembers going out and finding people on the highway. I think it might have been a highway by then. Between Albin and Pine Bluffs, and and getting them to their house to stay in their house to be safe. And, And it was for a while. But they really in many ways, risk their own lives to help other people. I, I, 
Anybody alive during the 49 blizzard? I wasn't. You don't have to admit it if you don't want to. Um, um, I mean, I, Dad talked about having to stuff you know, things into all of the cracks around the snow was coming in everywhere, everywhere where it could find a way in, where a breeze would come in, little snowdrifts were beginning, would, would begin to build. I mean, it was, it was a scary thing, but, but they, they wanted to help people. They, they wanted to serve people all, all the time. And I believe that that's a legacy that, that my dad will leave. And oftentimes, that's a legacy that we leave to our children, our spouse, our, our friends that were around. And, and actually, living unselfishly will leave two legacies. It will leave an earthly legacy, and it will leave an eternal one. Uh, Proverbs 10.7 says that good people will be, will be remembered as a blessing. What do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered as one who always looked out for self but succeeded in, in finances and property ownership and all of that? Or do you want to be known for somebody who was just willing to, to help someone when they had something that they needed? I mean, I, I know which one that I would like to be known for. Um, I want to leave that kind of legacy. Matthew 20, verse 26 26 says, if you want to be great, you must be the servant of all the others. Interesting, interestingly, for every 500 books that have been written on leadership, there's one on serving. It's no wonder we don't know what serving other people is in our culture. If it's 500 to one, I mean, that just shows me that that the spiritual battle is real when it comes to this aspect of being selfless. Hebrews 6.10 says this, God is fair. He will not forget the work you did and the love you showed for him by helping his people. And he will remember that you are still helping them. But nobody will see my acts of service, you might be thinking to yourself. God does. I mean, if... If you're serving so other people will see it, it's not selfless. And like the message from my wife that night in bed, maybe you need to hear it too. Um, I was looking for um, I, I was looking for illustrations of legacy. And uh, there's this sound that occurs sometimes. I, the, the state track meet was this weekend. I mean, it was, a, it, 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 it was a great, really, honestly, a good weekend for our kids um, in soccer and in track for all classes. Um, but, but there's a sound that a relay runner never wants to hear when they're running a relay. And it's ping, 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 ping. Right? The sound of a baton hitting the ground. Now, at the 2008 Beijing Olympics, the United States men's and women's 4 by 100 meter relay teams both dropped the baton. How many years do they train for the Olympics? They get one shot and they drop the baton. It was a disastrous performance that actually prompted the chief executive of USA Track and Field to promise a comprehensive review of the entire relay program. 
Four years earlier in Athens, shoddy baton passing by the American men had allowed a British relay team to pull off an upset while the United States women were disqualified after a a botched exchange. There have been similar troubles at the World Championships. On the surface, relay batons do not seem that hard, right? They're about 12 inches long, smoothly cylindrical, free from adornments, and they go by a simple nickname, the stick. Now, I didn't know that until just now, actually. Yet every runner fears the ping that can make years. Ty Desson fans has stories of dropping the baton at the state track meet. It disqualifies you. So what is important? Why do I give this illustration? I give this illustration because it's important that we get the exchange. That as you and I seek to live our lives selfishly before a holy God, serving out our purpose in life, that we successfully pass that legacy on to our children and those who will come after us. Whether it's nieces and nephews or grandchildren or, or whoever it is, but that we pass the baton. I mean, if you want to win a relay race, you have to pass the baton successfully. Before the 2012 London Olympics, one of the men on the USA's relay team said, we've got the history and we've got the talent right now. One, no one can deny that. We just need to get the stick around the track. Jesus makes a promise. He says in John chapter 12, verse 26, My Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now again, I, I just say that because that's what happens, not because that's what we're looking for. We serve because we're given the ministry. And if you want to leave a legacy, start serving. The greatest use of life is to invest it in that which will outlast your very life. And serving others is one of those things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. It just humbles me to think that you... And it's true, I know you came to serve us, not, that, not for us to serve you. And I thank you and I praise you for that. And I thank you that there are so many souls and lives in this very room that will live eternally in heaven with you because they've put their faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has never, who has never responded to that call on their life, that they would believe they would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, the Messiah that you came. That you paid a ransom for us and a hefty one it was. You took on the sin of the world. While we were yet sinners, you laid down your life for us. Thank you. We praise you for that. And Lord, I pray that as we live our lives, as we we serve this fourth purpose of of what on earth am I here for? That that your love and your forgiveness and your mercy would be, that we would bear witness to that to other people as we serve them. Uh, Lord Jesus, help us to plant seeds. Help us to leave legacies in our own families, in in the churches that we're a part of, wherever you are, 
I pray that you're challenged today to serve others. Father, thank you for how you Just how you're very clear in communicating to us uh, that we're your children. You're not ashamed of us. And Lord, I pray that, that this week that we would look for opportunities to serve others. Thank you for all who have gathered here today. And now as we sing this closing song and as we take our morning's offering, as we, as we, as we worship in these ways as well, uh, Father, uh, hear us. Hear our cries. Give us strength this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor.